the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along for the Wednesday edition, the May Day. The May Day edition. edition. You know, I'm excited, but I don't know why. What, that it is May Day? Well, all I know about May Day is that you you grab the ribbon and run around the Maypole. My mother was the May Day queen. <gasps> mm-hmm. We have photos of her crowned in front of the pole in, Grace in Hall. high school. It's kind of like the prom queen. Okay, so what's the deal with the pole? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Why does that sound fun? The Maypole. So May Day, I think, originally was a celebration of the arrival of spring, right? It goes back millennia. Okay. But then it was co-opted by, um, uh, what, the International Workers Union. Oh, yeah. I read about that. So there's like some kind of link between there there are protests that go on in May Day, workers who are unfairly treated. Well, it was a, a, a a celebration, I thought, International Workers Day a 19th century movement for labor rights and an 8-hour workday in the United States. Okay. But so, then but then we have now we have Labor Day. Right. So why do we need May Day if we have Labor Day? Uh, well, I think it's, it it's not really to, celebrated here. I think it goes back to the Maypole. Really? The Maypole? I'm not sure about that. The Maypole. I should know because it's part of my family history. I mean, the, for crying out loud, your mom was the May Queen. Yeah. So you should know that. I guess <laughs> I guess I should. Anyway, happy May Day to you. Thank you. I appreciate it My so pleasure. much. My pleasure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I understand that we who spend a lot of time on the North Shore, at least I do. You used to live on the North Side. I did. I did too. And because I live in the North Hills, in the summer especially, I spend a lot of time on do the you? North Shore. Do you go down to the fountains or the- Oh, uh, yeah. We well, always, we, I bike, you know, along the Allegheny River there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a nice space. You know, I usually park, you know, somewhere down on the Allegheny River, like by, mm-hmm. the, by the Heinz Company or in Millville or something and just bike down the path. You have a kayak? Down there? No, kayaking hurts my back. Uh-huh. <laughs> kayaking hurts your back. Plus, you get sweaty. I mean, no. You know how much I hate that, you guys. I think it'd be hard to kayak on the rivers. You see people over that, you know, the people kayak. People do it all the time. I know. But, you know, there's barges out there. Have you there. done it, Mike? Mike? Yes, it is It is a bit challenging. I bet it's very challenging. You're out there for at least 45 minutes and your arms are right. like spaghetti arms after you're done. Yeah. Like when you know, like when you go to Kennywood and you see people in those little foot paddle boat things. That's the last thing I want to do. Every time Seriously. I go to Kennywood and I mean, see those people, I think, why did they why? choose to do that? You're all wet and sweaty. You're I don't think they have those around. anymore. They don't. I don't think they do. I don't think okay. they do either. People like us complaining about it. <laughs> that's yeah. Just, anyway, I think everybody, everybody realized at the same time. You know what? That's it's just a bad dumb. Idea. Yeah, that we're yeah. not going to do it anymore. Anyway, but big doings on the North Shore. Oh yeah, yeah. So Millcraft Industries. Um, uh, Millcraft Investments as well. They're a major player here, real estate wise, for a couple couple of decades. Uh, they in, unveiled yesterday. They're planning a seven hundred million dollar complex, dubbed Esplanade, next to Rivers Casino. It include a two acre lagoon for swimming, and, and they're other, not ta- they're not talking about the Mon and other water activities. A large Ferris wheel 
an aquarium, four and four signature 200-foot towers housing a hotel, offices, apartments, and condos. Hope to be completed by 2025. Construction is expected to begin in 18 to 24 months. Uh, everything's going to center around the So it's the going lagoon. to begin in 18 to 24 months or be done in 18? No, no. Construction will be uh, begin in 18 to 24 months and okay. then be completed by 2025. Everything is designed around the lagoon. Plan to be the first in the world that can be converted from a beach in the summer to an ice rink and thermal spa ice rink. during winter months. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like the, the words thermal spa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about the Ferris wheel? What's the deal with Ferris wheels? I mean, Pittsburgh is the home of the Ferris wheel. Right. So, but, you know, Ferris wheels have popped up, you know, in London yeah, famously. I, I was just in years Houston ago. last week and there's They've a, got Ferris, a Ferris wheel. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, not like a Ferris wheel. The only problem with the Ferris wheel is once you get on, then you're stopping, starting, stopping, starting, stopping to get everybody off and on. Right. It feels like most of the ride is that. Well, I think the problem with the Ferris wheel is that they scare me. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. I love a Ferris wheel. Yeah, they scare me. You don't rock? No, I, oh, no. <sighs> really? Oh, gosh. I just, it freaks me out. When I was a kid, I w- mm-hmm. I'd always hope that I would get stuck on a Ferris wheel. Okay, that's my absolute worst nightmare really? that I got stuck. I would get stuck really? on a I Ferris sort of wheel. always envisioned myself like rappelling down the side. Okay, well, let's, you mean rappelling? Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> my mother and sister tell this family story that they've repeated oft, which is that they went to a fair when my, when my sister was little, before I was around, and they got on a Ferris wheel. Yeah. And the operator forgot that they were on it. What? And so he walked went away? And he walked away and went and got No he didn't. Went away and got dinner and they were stuck dinner? On, they went were stuck on the Ferris wheel. <laughs> For how long? Oh, they're like forty five minutes. What? They were on the Ferris wheel. <laughs> so let that sink in. Where was this? It was some state fair. Holy you know, smokes. It wasn't you know, at Six Flags Over Georgia. I, I don't think you'd ever have to do a Ferris wheel ever again. <laughs> That'd be it. Anyway, so now as I understand the plans of what's going on in the North Shore, mm. if you were traveling across the West End Bridge from the West End to the North Shore, it's going to be on the left. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So it doesn't, to me, look like there's enough space it seems kind for of all of that. Yeah. So where's Route 65 going to go? I, I mean, don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I was just driving across the bridge yesterday thinking, so it just doesn't yep. lagoon. I mean, I don't get it. An aquarium will sit on the opposite end of the 15-acre complex from the There's Ferris wheel. There's going to be an aquarium too. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, the Ferris wheel. This is not good. The Ferris wheel will be operated by a for-profit company. A parking garage is being planned. A parking garage. What about the Rivers Casino parking garage? <laughs> exactly. The size of Massachusetts. <laughs> I mean, seriously. The apartment towers, well, this is good. The apartment tower will include about 300 apartments with 60 available to people earning 50% of the area's mean income, about $38,000 for a family of four. Okay. 200 condos are planned for other resi- and other residential towers. Up, uh, they say it will be upper scale and marketed for family and business trade. Now, that seems confusing. Upper scale. And family and business trade? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. A riverfront marina will also include a residential element with houseboats for what, sale what and is rent. This, this just has everything. Mm-hmm. What? And, and they're going to put Cinderella's castle right out there, too. Right. There will also be a fishing pond uh, akin to Kennywood. I just made that up. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and the shooting Don't you love the fishing pond of Kennywood? And the shooting range. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I want to go. When our kids were little, didn't you love the fishing pond? I'm... You never did. We did. That was like the highlight of our day. 
I mean, I would spend like twenty bucks, just, you know, buying, you know, getting whistles because you, you know, your kids you stick that little put the stick in there. The things would go by. Number three, and you get the little, you know, Chinese finger torture thing. I love that kind of stuff. Okay, now you're never going to believe this, what? and you're going to mock me, and I'm okay with it because I feel like I need to be honest about who I am. <laughs> I have never in my life played a single game at Kennywood. <laughs> Not one. Uh, what? Never game. Never, never. Never played one single game again. What? Never. The milk bottles. Nothing. I love the milk bottles. Nothing. Not not nothing. when I was a the kid. Squirting game. Not with the my own kids. The squirting game. Nothing. How about the paint thing that spins around? Or the darts? Oh, with the man. balloons. The basketballs. Oh, All that's, that stuff. That's so rigged. Oh, that's, yeah, it is. Yeah, that makes me mad. That's okay. Just because it, it's fun it's a to do. Little sore it. spot. Oh, you, wait. So then, if you've done it, then your kids never did it. No. How about the penny arcade at Kennywood? No. Oh, I still oh, live the in Penny there. Arcade. Oh, that used to be when we were kids. That was a real fun. But place. see, if you're choosing that, you're choosing that over a ride. No, and no, no, why no, no, would no. you choose that over a ride? You have a finite amount of time at when the you're there. At the end of the day, as the as the park is closing, we as a family got to that's do things like that. That's when you have to go on the Thunderbolt another two times. That's fine, but you would squeeze that in. No, you're oh. never, there's no squeezing. No, no, the milk bottle thing. No. I used to hit that and go, "I'm a hero." I knocked down all those milk bottles with one ball. I'd always walk through Kennywood and feel badly for the people playing games. What? Because I'd feel like it's too bad. Like, don't they want to go really? on the racer? I always feel bad for the people who won and then they are stuck oh, all know, day Carrie long with a gigantic thing. furry Isn't that orange awful? thing. Is that, nobody what wants is that? that. People want those nobody things. Nobody wants that. I don't people think anybody do. wants that. Anyway. Anyway. Right. Okay. One more thing. What's going up on Mount Washington? I heard that there was news about the sprint oh, sign. Oh, right. Okay. So now the sprint sign is gone. Thank goodness. Because it's looked like garbage for yes. years. So now there's a new sign, uh, the National Flag Foundation has put uh, a signage up there. So it's a portion of the flag. It looks pretty, you know, red, white, and blue. And then in the far right corner, apparently, there's a logo. I don't know how long it's going to last. Okay, but that's not a permanent thing? That's just what it is right now? For now. Okay. Right. Well, I feel good about that. Me too. It's a lot better than the old sprint sign. Holy smokes. I I miss the Bayer sign. How about that? Remember, you know, it used to be really famous. It was like in all these different configurations of lights. I didn't like that either. I loved that. The Bayer sign? No, well, yeah, it was the bear sign, but then they With did the some. Clock. No, no, no. Yeah, it had a little it had the bear sign, and then it also had the clock with it. No, but there was something that sort of jumped around. Do we all live here? <laughs> <laughs> and let's get back to the fish pond at Kennywood because that's my that's my comfort point for the day. It looks like. Just Coming saying. up next, Dr. Carl Truman from Grove City College. We're going to talk about the shooter in um, in the synagogue in San Diego. Who's to blame when the shooter is one of our own? That's next on today's Ride Home. Jen had a very busy day today. Really busy. First, she dropped her kids off at daycare. Then she had a few minutes before yoga class for a coffee. Small latte, please. And then she saved a few lives. Nurse, two units, O negative. One, an injured child. Another, a cardiac patient. And then, a premature baby. All because Jen logged on to bloodsciencefoundation.org and made a financial donation. There, done. You see, local blood donors provide only about half of what is needed to treat patients. The other half has to be purchased and relies on financial donations from people like you and Jen. Ooh, cake pops. So, what have you done today? To make a financial donation that saves lives, visit bloodsciencefoundation.org. Blood Science Foundation. Giving 
from the heart. 101.5 WORD. The best way to fight temptation in your marriage is together as a couple. Next time on Focus on the Family, what Adam and Eve can teach you about marriage. We'll examine biblical couples and their mistakes so you and your spouse can have a better relationship. Discover God's solution for your marriage on the next Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Tonight at 8.30 on 101.5 WORD. Now on a brand new night, it's Word FM Skate Night at Neville Rollerdrome. The first Wednesday of the month, join Kenny Woods and a live Word FM audience and skate to your favorite CCM hits with prizes and giveaways 6.30 to 9 p.m. You could win a free skate night for your family or youth group. Admission $7. Skate rental just three more. Pastors and youth pastors skate free. Word FM Skate Night at Neville Rollerdrome continues Wednesday, May 1st. Groups over 30 must register in advance. Email info at skatenrd.com. So the only thing really keeping you from enrolling your children in Christian school is sports? Trinity Christian School answers that concern with boys soccer, girls volleyball, and track for boys and girls. A well-rounded Christian education with the sports opportunities you want? Now that sounds really good. Trinity Christian School, ranked among the top K-12 schools in Allegheny County at trinitychristian.net. Most clubs you join require an initiation fee or a club membership. But not the Word FM Discount Shopping Club. No, in our club, you save as much as half. That's right, 50% on gift certificates and items from local restaurants, health services, and much more. All from the comfort of your computer or smartphone. Log on now to wordfm.com slash shopping. And I'll see you at the club. Thank you. What is going on in this country? What is going on around the world where people of faith are being murdered in the pews of their churches? Dr. Carl Truman is with us from Grove City College. Dr. Truman is part of the Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City. He teaches courses on the history of religious thought. Dr. Truman has worked extensively in the field of Reformation and post-Reformation studies, but more recently has become interested in matters relating to the understanding of human personhood and how this shapes modern thinking about politics. Carl, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank I'm you. doing well. Excellent. Carl, these stories, to have to... Um to think about the suffering of those who were involved. You know, I, I read the absolutely heartbreakingly beautiful piece that was written by the rabbi of the synagogue in San Diego. Um, and he basically said, look, I lost these two, I think he lost three fingers in the attack. And he told his congregation, I these fingers that I've lost, I give to you to go out and, and do good in the world. Um, so this, you know, this is a congregation that has suffered, you know, he's traumatized because of the violence he saw the woman that was killed was a good friend of his, um, and she was being resuscitated by her husband at the time of her death. Um, it's just the whole thing is so sad, but it just goes on and on and on. And I think the first thing we want to do, Carl, is we want to figure out why it's happening so that we can stop it. Yeah, and I think that, of course, there's no real easy answer to that question, and it's too early to say what specifically motivated or led this uh, young man to to commit this uh, terrible outrage. But I think you're absolutely right that our first reaction should be uh, to sympathize and to mourn with those who've been so so terribly traumatized and terribly bereaved by 
by this action. And I think in some senses, uh, our, our ability to do that would reflect our ability to to share a common humanity, to our, our ability to express sympathy, empathy, and to mourn with those who mourn at this point is, I wouldn't say it's part of the solution uh, to the problem, but it's certainly a sign that uh, that not every human being is committed to this, this path of destruction that this young man has, has clearly embarked upon. Carl, uh, online at Christianity Today, you wrote an article titled, Who's to Blame When the Shooter is One of Our Own? And uh, in the article, you talk about the uh, denomination, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, of which you are a part of. And apparently, I don't want to, we don't want to mention the shooter's name, but apparently this young man's family was a part of this uh, denomination as well. Yes, uh, the, the, the young man has uh, uh, roots in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I've read reports that he's a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I, I don't know if that's entirely accurate. It may be. I, I've just not... Uh, uh, have, have that verified, but clearly he comes from a Christian background, and uh, one of the tragedies is that uh, coming from a good home, coming from a good background, doesn't necessarily immunize you to uh, to the outrageous evil that there is in this world, yes. and, and mm-hmm. doesn't stop you from becoming the kind of person that this young man is. What I've read so far seems to suggest that really in the last two years he's he'd come under the influence of those who had had radicalized him in an anti-Semitic direction. And, of course, one of the, the, the things we face today is, you know, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, it was relatively easy for parents to control the influences in their children's lives. Now, with the Internet uh, uh, and information technology, it's very, very difficult to, to protect our children from, from all of the evil that's out there and, and to corral them in the right direction. Right. I mean, I remember growing up, there was always concern about cults the mm-hmm. Moonies and things like that, that kids were being brainwashed. And it feels as though this young man and many other men like him are also being brainwashed. Yes. I mean, it, it's almost ironic. You look back on the Moonies almost with nostalgia. Exactly. That, right. Uh, in that they were on one level relatively harmless, uh, weren't going out and shooting and killing people. The kind of influences that can penetrate into the the living room of, of any decent uh, home or household today uh, is is terrifying, really. And it is. Uh, uh, I, I think it's it's perhaps a wake up call for parents that that when we hand our children cell phones or we we hand them computers, we are we're really presenting them with the possibility of being influenced by by incredibly wicked people. Right, Carl. What about? Um what about this desire that um, you've talked about in this article, th- that we find out why it happened or, you know, who gave this person the ideas that caused him to act in this way? So, you know, we've seen this play out through so many different shootings in America, and we see that, you know, mental illness has played a part or, you know, uh, a broken family has played a part or, you know, video games have played a part. But Or it's just the, the fault of the fact that we have so many guns in our country. I'm just thinking of all the different ways that pe- all the different fingers pointed that have landed on particular people or organizations or society. Ills. Now, this time it lands on perhaps a Christian church. I've seen criticism online about the fact that, oh, well, what an Orthodox Presbyterian church teaches is so hateful that it could produce something like this. Yeah, well, I think the first thing we need to do is resist the temptation to 
to come to, to simplistic conclusions about why things happened. Not everybody with mental illness is a violent person. Uh, not everybody uh, who owns a gun goes out and, and shoots uh, a 60-year-old person at a synagogue. There's clearly a, a kind of perfect storm of factors that are likely to have come together in this young man's life, including, I would say as a Christian, his own, his own innate depravity. We, we all have a tendency uh, towards, towards wickedness that, that needs to be checked, both by ourselves and by, by those around us. So I would say the first thing we need to do is, is to avoid apportioning simplistic blame. Having said that, I, I do think there's a place for us not being complacent either. One of the things I try to draw out in the Christianity Today article is, in some senses, this young man is, uh, is an extreme example of the kind of anger and polarization and refusal to listen to other people, the refusal to empathize with other people that pervades the whole of our society. Mm. When you look at the New Testament, uh, Jesus makes it very clear that, that anger and slander are akin to murder. Now, I want to parse that carefully and say that not everybody who loses their temper is as bad as a, a murderer in terms of the society in which we live. But I think what Jesus is pointing to there is uh, they're part of the same kind of culture of disrespect and hatred of other people which in its most extreme form culminates in the kind of action we saw on Saturday. So I would say, first of all, let's avoid making simplistic uh, blame the name of the game. And on the other hand, it's perhaps time for us to, to do some heart searching to see if, if we as individuals, or indeed as a church, or as, a, or as Christians in general, have, have played a part in, in cultivating this, this atmosphere that leads to these things, yes. or, or if we're representing a, a better way to the world. From Grove City College, we're speaking with Dr. Carl Truman, his piece online at Christianity Today, Who's to Blame When the Shooter is One of Our Own? Carl, uh, I, I want to read just a, a short paragraph he wrote, which really struck me, because like like yourself, Kath and I, we are uh, every day talking to people. You are in the classroom talking to students, and you write this. I learned long ago, to my chagrin, that provocative comments I made in the classroom could be picked up and used by students in harmful ways that I never imagined, and that we are all responsible for the way we speak and speak about others. Over the years, I've struggled to speak respectfully and appropriately about those with whom I disagree. Regardless of our scope of influence, our words have consequences, as does the tone with which we speak and write them. As a former pastor, as an Orthodox Presbyterian minister, I want to see the church and ask, what can we do to try to stop such things happening in the future? And Carl, that's key, I believe, right? I mean, we sit behind this microphone, and by the, by the grace of God, that we've been given the opportunity to broadcast over 50,000 watts. So a lot of people listen, and I think we try to be very, very careful not to incite rage or anger or conspiracy in people's minds. It's a responsibility that's very precious, and, of course, you yourself with the young minds at the college, the same thing. And so it really wouldn't matter whether it's broadcasters or teachers or someone in the pews at church or over the fence at our neighbor's house. What comes out of our mouth is a personal responsibility that I feel more and more has fallen by the wayside. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you know, when you're teaching or when you're doing a radio program, obviously you want to, to arouse interest. You want to be provocative. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a natural and that's a 
good thing. You want people interested and engaged. But there are ways of doing that that don't necessarily involve denigrating other people. And, and one of the, you know, the shocking things I've seen, as I alluded to in that article over the years, is where I will make a, a disparaging comment about somebody in a class in order to grab the student's attention or, or to make a, a provocative point. And then I'll see that replicated by my students elsewhere, and I'll think, well, wow, when they did it, they, they picked me up not as being provocative, but that's the norm of the way I speak about other people. And that comes back to, to, to cut me and to haunt me, really. And, and, and over the years, I think, uh, I, some would say perhaps I've mellowed. I would like to think that I, I like to think that I've tried to become more responsible in the way I use both my written words and my spoken words. And I think that's something that, that all Christians should, should try mm-hmm. to do. It's not, it's not coincidental that we're told, you know, a, a kind word turns, again, it turns away wrath in the New Testament. I think um, when we're dealing with, with even our enemies, if you like, it, it behooves us to treat them as individuals with, with kindness and respect. When I think about this family, the family of the shooter, they've essentially uh, made a public comment where they disavow now any relationship with him. And as a parent, you think it's got to break your heart. Your son is involved now in murder, and you're connected with that. And you want to love your child, but at the same time, you want no part of his evil actions. What an odd and tragic tightrope you have to balance on. Oh, I cannot imagine uh, what the family are going through. I mean, it's in some ways, there are two families that have lost people here. And one one doesn't want to feel little... The, the loss of, of the Jewish family that no, have lost, no. lost the beloved uh, mother and wife at all, but certainly the family where the, the son has, has committed this crime, they've lost their son too, and, and as a father myself, I simply cannot imagine the, the mental agony uh, and emotional uh, torment that they're, they're going through now and will presumably go through for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, uh, an unimaginably terrible situation for everybody involved. Yes. Dr. Carl Truman, we're so happy that you've been able to join us again. You wrote a wonderful piece, John, as John said, the title, Who's to Blame When the Shooter is One of Our Own in Christianity Today? We've been talking with Dr. Carl Truman, Department of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College. His weekly podcast, The Mortification of Spin for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Dr. Truman, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll take a quick break, come back, reset. Um, what happened today in history? Something that really shook America to the core The Echo continues on. Stay with us for that. Okay, here's the deal. Mortgage rates went up this year, right? Wrong. If you're looking to lower your monthly payment or thinking of getting cash out of your home, mortgage rates are actually now the lowest in months. But the clock's ticking. And at Cash Call Mortgage, there's no better time to take advantage than right now. Call us at 833-458-CASH. Speak with one of our refinance specialists today, and you may be able to lock in the lowest rates of the year before they're gone. We'll even get the process started without the upfront deposit other lenders still charge. That's 833-458-CASH. Refinance with Cash Call Mortgage today. Impact Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage. NMLS ID 128231. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in all states, including New York. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. Don't let these low rates pass you by. All you need to get started is a phone. Dial 833-458-CASH. Again, 833-458-CASH. Refinance with Cash Call Mortgage today. It's where the Sahara meets the Nile and the Mediterranean Sea. Only here exist the perfect conditions for growing the finest cotton in the world. 
I'm John Hall. Nowhere else can you find cotton so luxuriously soft and light, yet super strong and able to hold deep, vibrant colors, wash after wash. It's this very cotton Mike Lindell has used to create my pillows, Giza Dreams bed sheets. Try them once, and you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. And right now, get a special 30% off my pillow dream sheets with free shipping. Use promo code WORD when you call 800 391 0954 or place your order at mypillow.com. 60 day money back guarantee if you're not completely satisfied. Call 800 391 0954 or visit mypillow.com and be sure to use promo code WORD for 30% off plus free shipping. Sweet dreams from my pillow. Graduation day is finally here. Celebrate their achievement and leave the catering to Bistro to Go in the Northside. From backyard family gatherings to glitzy affairs, their simply delicious creations are sure to impress. Fresh, unique, and artistically displayed. From crisp salads and fresh fruits to gorgeously grilled chicken or beef and delectable desserts. With vegan and gluten-free options. Reasonably priced, fully staffed, delivered, or ready to go. Celebrate success with Bistro to Go at bistroandcompany.com. Indeed, used by over 3 million businesses for hiring. Where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screen questions then sort review and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard learn more at indeed.com slash hire pittsburgh theological seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of jesus with master of divinity master of arts and doctor of ministry degree programs and certificates perfect for students with full-time employment pursuing a seminary education learn more at pts.edu Mostly cloudy tonight with a shower in the area, mostly after midnight, low 63. Tomorrow, warm and more humid will stay mostly cloudy with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm, high 76. Another shower or thunderstorm around tomorrow night with lows near 60. And still unsettled for Friday with clouds and a couple of more showers and a thunderstorm. Friday's high 73 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. This day in history, President Barack Obama announced at 11.35 p.m. Eastern that al-Qaeda founder Osama bin Laden, architect of the September 11th terrorist attacks, was killed at a U.S. commando raid in a U.S. commando raid on his compound near the Pakistani capital. I remember that so well. It took a long time, didn't it? Yeah. It was a 10-year search for Osama bin Laden. And uh, the CIA was um, famously involved in this search. It came down to finding a courier. Osama bin Laden did not have any cell phone coverage in that uh, part of Pakistan where he was. And um, because of that, people had to come and go. His, His messages were delivered by courier. And so someone was intercepted, arrested, who knew the whereabouts. And then for months and months and months, they looked at this compound on Google Maps. They realized that it was built to hide someone of importance. They assumed it was Osama bin Laden. And then the planning got underway. The, the odd thing for me, when you, when you think about this, you know, the imagination is so big and so wild that when, you know, the decade that Osama bin Laden spent in hiding, you imagined him at least, you know, in tunnels or in a, you mm-hmm. know, some sort of secret, you know, complex hideaway. 
When it was revealed after he died and was buried at sea and they showed photos of the compound, it was pretty mundane. And as a matter of fact, his life post 9-11 was mundane as all get out because there he was, a fugitive, living with a wife. Um, Several wives. Uh, his his uh, extended family, I believe his mother was there. Uh, they found, you know, um, pornography, uh, junk food. It seemed kind of meh and sad yep. that, you know, this mastermind, the villain of the world. Was living this low-rent existence. Right. It was squalor, essentially. Yeah. You know what I remember so clearly about that night was after, um, after I, I heard it live. And after the news came out, all the celebrations around America started. Do you remember Mm, that? I do. It looked like New Year's Eve. Right. People were out in the streets. People were hugging each other. People were, you know, drinking alcohol in celebration. The whole thing. I thought it was. I thought it was so unsavory. Well, I could understand why. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't understand why, but I'm saying like that. It's a person. Right. Who has died? Now he was an evil person. He was our arch enemy. He was an he was our arch enemy. It was as if he was Hitler in right. some ways. Ex- but it still it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, but you know the culture we live in will take any opportunity to act like fools, right, and to celebrate with alcohol. You know yeah. that. Again, though, when we're talking about a life, right? But this life took three thousand plus lives and set in motion right. an endless war. It's still it's still. I, I, I get it. I know it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Right? When we treat life lightly. We do it to our peril, and yes. we end up hurting ourselves in the long run. But anyway, yeah. this day in history. Yes. In the end. Justice well, was done. Yes, it was. I'm glad uh, that uh, the CIA and the United States government did their job. We'll take a break. Come back. Uh, oh, National Poetry Month may have passed. It ended yesterday. But coming up next, an actual poet live in studio. W-O-R-D. Are you tired of the hypocrisy in our culture? How about in the church? Have you ever wondered how God handles all this double-minded madness? Well, if you're ready for the truth, then join us on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee as he continues our chapter-by-chapter study of the Old Testament book of Isaiah and examines the subject of hypocrisy and more. Through the Bible, this evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. If your family depends on your income and something happened to you, what would happen to them? You need life insurance, and SelectQuote can help you get it at a price you can afford. SelectQuote found Jacob, 40, who's in excellent health, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $19 a month. Not in perfect health? Don't worry. SelectQuote found Tanya, 40, who has type 2 diabetes, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $32 a month. We shop companies like Protective, Prudential, American General, and others to find you the company with the best rates. Give your family the security they need at a price you can afford. For your free quote, call 1-800-881-4747. That's 1-800-881-4747. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-881-4747. Select quote. We shop, you save. Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. This is the entertainment answer. Was it a stretch for Nick Jonas to voice a villain in the new animated Ugly Dolls film? I always say if I haven't had my coffee in the morning, I can be a bit of a villain. So... (laughs) 
it wasn't hard. I just I just went into the voice recording sessions without coffee, and I was right in there. It was perfect. But with Lou, it's a little more complex than that. Deep down, he really just wants to be loved and accepted for who he is, and he's got a lot of things about him that he needs to change to evolve and become a better person and see that journey unfold. Ugly Dolls rated PG. For this entertainment answer, I'm Matt Mungle. The backyard's looking great, Rob. Thanks, man. I was planning on adding a deck, too. Know any good contractors? Why don't you just ask HomeAdvisor? Home what? HomeAdvisor.com. You just tell them about your project and they match you with local pros that can do the job. Nice. Now, how much does it cost? Oh, HomeAdvisor's totally free to use. Plus, you can read customer reviews, check pricing, and book appointments for free. What's the website again? HomeAdvisor.com. Or just download the free HomeAdvisor app. HomeAdvisor. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, WeatherTech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters, always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville, for the extreme in all of us. At ExtremeTruck.net. National Poetry Month has come and gone. And I think we celebrated as much as we could have. Yeah, there were some very fine verses being thrown there around were. the studio. There really Weren't were. There? Some of them were so deeply thought-provoking that you and I were just kind of in stunned silence. Speechless, yeah. Some of them were very funny. Did, it, did, the, did the celebration of National Poetry Month and the, the uh, reading of the poems make you desirous of being a poet? You wanted to... No. What? No, I don't. You never wanted to be a poet. Listen, I'm, I'm just right. I'm such a newbie as far as reading poetry. You think I'm ready to start making it? Yes. I mean, listen, I am very, very good with. (laughs) Oh, where's this going? No, no, no. no. I am very, very. No, with a limerick. (laughs) Oh, limerick. I'm very strong in limericks. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I have spent a lot of time in my life writing poems for people, lim- only Limerick. limericks so wonder, and silly things. Are limericks like the uh, pork rinds of poetry? Oh, for sure. You think? I'm sure that's the absolute cast-off, entry-level, low-rent. Prob- I'm sure it's looked on with disdain. I wonder if in Ireland there's like, you know, the you know like we have the poet laureate. Is there the limerick laureate in, in, in Ireland? Well, if there is one, I want to find more of his or her work. Because <laughs> I like it. That's your particular. I like it. All right, yes, well... Uh, we don't have Longfellow with us. Uh, we don't have who? Who's uh, another? Fam- Ogden Nash. Ogden Nash. That's a beautiful name, isn't it? Well, isn't that a beautiful name? It is. Well, his parents were thinking. They were poets. Yeah, the, they the were family themselves. were poets. Yes. So we have um, uh, Dan Leroy with us. He's the director of writing and publishing at Lincoln Park Performing Arts School in Midland, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan. Uh, you, I, I believe that you may be our first actual live poet to ever appear. Uh, that's quite an honor. I just uh, I want to start by saying that we need more limericks. Yes, okay. we need more pork rinds, mm-hmm. and we especially need more people who are reading poetry. Hmm. So you're three for three. Oh, that's exciting! Uh, you know, or, I'm so happy to hear that, Dan. Well, you're a good guest. Yeah. yeah. Now, listen, Dan. This all came about, up, up, about because a year ago, John Hall was so frustrated with me because I never I never liked poetry. And never my, read and, it. No, and my problem with reading it, Dan, is that I was gonna have to slow down long enough to actually take the words in and appreciate them and I just didn't have time didn't have time <laughs> didn't, for didn't have time for that. I mean I had a lot of other things I had to do. And finally John was like, you know, this is really 
<laughs> disappointing to me. It is. And so, I, anyway, so we we decided so that an, an intervention. If yes, will. I had I had a I had a poetic intervention. Thank you. A year ago, based on what on John's dissatisfaction with my attitude, yes. and now a year later, I find that I have really, really enjoyed poetry. Excellent. Okay, so Dan, there's the snapshot of Kathy and her deficit. But you, as a poetry teacher, <laughs> you as a poetry teacher, something in your bones. What what drove you to want to read, teach, and love poetry? Um, there are a lot of possible answers to that, but I think one of the things I would say uh, is that poetry is one of those things that probably because in in the modern world we think of it as a very short form, and it often is, but because of that people uh, look at it as something that perhaps is very easy to do, and it might be easy to do, but to do it well... Uh, there's a high level of difficulty. The less words you have, the more of a challenge it becomes. And I like that challenge. And I like seeing how students respond to that challenge nice. as well. Excellent. So I wonder this. When you, did you disclose to your parents that you wanted to write and teach poetry? And if you did, did they slap you? Well, no, it's a, uh, actually both of my parents uh, were teachers. Ah. Uh, sometimes of poetry, but in fact, uh, I was the one who said, listen, I'm never getting into that racket. Uh, I see what it looks like and you can forget it. So they're, they're, they're happy that, you know, I'm in the family business, uh, so to speak. Right. Sure. And like so many children before you. Yes. And enjoying the great riches that come, right? The economic boost that a poet must endure. Well, uh, I got to say, uh, in this position, uh, I'm, I'm probably doing better than any number of poets out there who, I, who are roughing mm. it just on the basis of their poetry. I would imagine. To them, my hat's off. That yes, yes. is a good point. We're talking to Dan Leroy, Director of Writing and Publishing and a poetry teacher at Lincoln Park Performing Arts School in Midland, PA. All right, Dan, what does poetry provide to us that prose cannot? Uh, I think what it does, uh, again, because of the relative brevity, is it puts heightened importance on everything. The things that we would say that are important in poetry, uh, the use of imagery and sensory detail, the choice of words, the sound of words, the rhythm of the line, uh, and actually saying uh, saying more than what's on the page, all of those things are true in prose. They're just more true in poetry because, again, you have less words to work with. And so the heightened of it, the importance of everything is heightened. You, you, there's no place to hide in a poem. Every single word has to stand up for itself and and be counted. And ideally, that would be true in all types of writing, but it really isn't. Um, it, I compare it sometimes to you know the, the there are two kinds of people when it comes to packing for a vacation. There are people who are the underwear and toothbrush packers, <laughs> and then there are the people who will take a, a ball gown skiing just because they don't, they don't know. You hey, never know. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and poet, poetry is like the underwear and toothbrush part of this. You, you take the, 
the minimum, and you figure out a way to make it work out. Well, that's good. So I would imagine then, as a poet, if you're the underwear and toothbrush kind of guy, it, that would also inform the rest of your life, that you would tend to look at the rest of the world like that. Uh, you haven't been to my basement, and you haven't, uh, <laughs> and you haven't, you haven't heard. More important, you haven't heard my wife talk about our basement. So I, I would love to say that it's true across the board, but I think there's evidence to the contrary. I see. I see. Okay, so for people who are listening and they and they're hearing this conversation, think, okay, maybe these guys aren't so off the, off their rocker. Uh, I would like to uh, involve myself in some poetry. Is there like you know a poetry one hundred and one entryway that we should be invested in? Um, that's a great question, and I think the best question is one that also applies to reading generally. Uh, the best way to do Poetry 101 is go to a library or go to a bookstore and find some poetry and start reading it, mm. and then start trying to decide whether you like it or not. And that's a very introductory step, and yet in a lot of ways it's the most important step. The thing that I find with young writers, and I think that means it's probably true of all writers, is people like to write poetry. They actually don't like to spend a lot of time reading the poetry, and it's kind of hard to do one without the other. Mm-hmm. So the best way to start is find something that advertises itself as poetry, read it, see if you like it, if you like it, you should try to find more of it and maybe find other stuff that advertises itself the same way. I like it. Uh, the, the first step is the simplest and yet the, the most important. Right. You know, how about, what's your take on people, like, I don't know what the uh, the proper name is, but, you know, when people get together, and uh, I'm going to call it like a, um, a word slam, where people get... Yeah, slam poetry. Slam, yeah. yeah. So what is that all about? I mean, that looks really, I mean, I've just seen video clips of that. It looks like there's a lot of energy there, but it doesn't look like it's a lot of poetry. It just, it seems very big and bold. Um. There's two ways to look at that, I guess. One is that anything that gets people mm-hmm. interested in poetry in whatever form is something that people who care about poetry probably should say, hey, like this, this could be a potential ally. Within that, I think the, the thing that you're saying, the, the implied criticism is that sometimes it doesn't seem like poetry, it just seems like yelling, it has to do with the fact that Sometimes the energy part of it, I think, takes over in some of these other parts that, that I was mentioning earlier, especially the use of imagery and sensory detail. And I see. Saying, saying more than is on the page or is in the poem. Those are things I think sometimes get neglected. I Not see. always, but, uh, but sometimes. Uh, I think the test of a poem is if you walk away from it and you're still trying to think about it, you're still trying to work through what, what, uh, what's the, the other level of this. And sometimes in the energy, uh, of, of slam poetry, we don't get that second level necessarily, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Dan Leroy is with us. Dan is the Director of Writing and Publishing and Poetry Teacher at Lincoln Park Performing Arts School in Midland, PA. So, Dan, enough talk about poetry. Um, You yourself, as a poet, might you have a poem of your own that you could uh, recite for us? Well, actually, I'm going to recite a poem by another poet who is a local poet, 
Pittsburgh poet, for my money, one of the best poets of this generation. Hmm. Uh, we're lucky that he's been a good friend to Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School since the beginning. Uh, he's been a, a frequent guest here uh, and has helped our young writers. And I think if this, uh, if you were putting together an anthology of great 20th century poetry, I, I think this poem ought to be in it. Uh, the poet's name is Jim Daniels. He's a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. Oh, no. And this is a poem of his that I think checks all the boxes that we were talking about earlier, and it's called Anthem. Very nice. Two months after retirement, my father is here to get away from 6 a.m. and his cup of empty destination. At a football game, we huddle under his umbrella, talking about the obvious. He brings me coffee to hold warm between my hands, a gift of no occasion. When we rise for the anthem, I hear the rusty crack of his voice for the first time, maybe ever. Thirty-three years of coughing, thick factory air, of drifting to sleep through the heavy ring of machinery of 12-hour days. In my sleep, I felt the cold bump of his late-night kiss. I shiver in the rain as my father stings me what I now hear as a children's song. I lean into him, the umbrella and rain my excuse, my shoulder against his, and I imagine my mother falling in love. And that's Anthem by Jim Daniels. Wow, that's beautiful. That, that is, is beautiful. Such great imagery and wow. such really deep emotion. That's really excellent. Wow. Uh, I'm so that's glad. one of my yeah. favorites. Uh, and I think it shows what you can do with no fancy words, no frills, just, just those very basic elements, well deployed. Mm, beautiful. Dan, we're so happy you were able to join us today. It is my great pleasure. Anytime somebody wants to talk about poetry, anybody who cares about poetry, I'd better pick up the phone. Very nice. That's Dan Leroy, Director of Writing and Publishing at Lincoln Park Performing Arts School, Midland, PA. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-290-7100. That's 800-290-7100. 800-290-7100. Do you dream of owning your own home? Dollar Bank's free Mortgages for Mothers workshop can show you how to break the rent cycle. You'll learn the right way to home ownership with a plan to strengthen your savings and create less debt. You can even get help with restoring bad credit. 
Join Lynn Hayes Freeland and Dollar Bank at the free Mortgages for Mothers Home Buying Workshop, Saturday, May 11th at 9 a.m. at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Child care will be available. To register, visit mortgagesformothers.com today. Dollar Bank, equal housing lender. Five years ago, a National Barna Omni poll discovered that 77% of evangelicals believe we're now living in the end times as described by the Bible. But how can we really know? Don't miss the most comprehensive, in-depth, prophetic end-time seminar anywhere. You'll be amazed at how much information God's Word provides. This informative end-time seminar begins Saturday, May 11th in the morning at Christ Church at Grove Farm. To learn more, go to endtimeseminar.com. That's endtimeseminar.com. Creation Fest 2019 is coming. Join us with your family and friends for a weekend of worship like no other. Over 70 artists like Skillet, Hillsong Worship, Crowder, Elevation Worship, Carrie Joe. 10th Avenue North and Mendisa, as well as over 15 speakers like Bob Legs, Reggie Dabbs, and David Nasser. Be a part of the creation worship experience set in the beautiful mountains of central Pennsylvania. Go to creationfest.com to find out more. That's creationfest.com. Now, on a brand new night, it's Word FM Skate Night at Neville Rollerdrome. The first Wednesday of the month, join Kenny Woods and a live Word FM audience and skate to your favorite CCM hits with prizes and giveaways 6.30 to 9 p.m. You could win a free skate night for your family or youth group. Admission $7. Skate rental just three more. Pastors and youth pastors skate free. Word FM Skate Night at Neville Rollerdrome continues Wednesday, May 1st. Groups over 30 must register in advance. Email info at skatenrd.com. An Allegheny County resident has tested positive for measles, making it the year's first case in the state as the nation grapples with an outbreak. The Allegheny County Health Department confirmed the case yesterday, identifying the affected person as an unvaccinated adult oh, that's a surprise. who has recently traveled internationally. person was treated at the UPMC Shadyside Emergency Room. A spokesman for the health department says this is the only confirmed case of measles this year. I did not know this. Um, if, um, if you were born uh, between 1957 and 1989... Uh, you likely received one dose of the measles vaccine, which means that you are 93% protected. Anyone born uh, after 1989 received two doses of the vaccine and are 97% protected. How about that? What's, if you're born what, before, what's, the, what's the percentage before? 93. 93. Yeah. And anyone who was born uh, nine, before 1957 and it is protected from natural immunity because the disease was so prevalent at the time. Mm, got it. Measles. Did you have measles? No. Did you have measles? I don't know. I had, you know, I had measles. I I, I had mumps or whatever. I had something. Well, they're not the same thing. No, measles, mumps. We had some sort of, you know, I remember being like all pimply and scratchy. That explains a lot. (laughs) Right. I feel like you should know that. I don't know. It's my mom. You know, you know, as an adult, you go, mom, did I have me? And she'd go. Oh yeah, then didn't you tell me the story? And, and right. I just, you know, I just but that's why it. they make vaccination records. I don't. So you don't have to rely on mom. What the heck? You don't know that? No, I don't. Okay. And no, and I bet you if you ask ten people around my age if they if they knew, most people like me, uh, maybe I did. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Mike, wouldn't you know if you have measles? 
or mumps? What you were like? No, s- feel like you would know. No, you were like seven or eight years old. I'm not. You, the only thing I'm I had, thinking about the only that. Thing I remember having is chicken pox. Yes, that's about it. Okay. Yeah. I got so chicken pox the day after I got my driver's license. What? The day after I was 16. Really? Did you ever have scabies? Yeah. This is getting personal. Fast. Well, I mean, no, no, no I've never okay, had scabies. Right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you bring up chicken pox and measles, skis follow right in line. Good thing we're going to a break. Okay, I'm a little itchy. Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Attorney General William Barr's testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee has concluded, but not without a final tangle over the Mueller report and its public interpretation. Democrat Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal challenged Barr about a conference call with Mueller, which led to Chairman Graham gaveling the hearing closed. Uh, There were notes taken of, of the call. May we have those notes? No. Why not? Why should you have them? I'll tell you, we got to end this, but I'm going to write a letter to Mr. Mueller, and I'm going to ask him, is there anything you said about that conversation he disagrees with? And if there is, he can come and tell us. Right. So the hearing is now over. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 163 points to 26,430. The Nasdaq dropped 45. The S&P lower by 22. This is SRN News. At Accurate Solutions Group, we're known to consort with pirates, penguins, and even panthers, and of course the Steelers. Maybe fans of Pittsburgh's most beloved sports teams turn to us because they know we're Yinzers too. So whether you're a pirate fan, penguin, panther, or Steelers, or all of the above, give us a call. I'm Kurt Kenotic. Ethan and I will help you get to where you need to be. Retirement is what we do, independent is what we are, and fiduciary is how we practice. Retire with confidence, clarity, and independence. A retirement blueprint from Accurate Solutions Group. It's customized and personalized to your unique situation. Call 412-515-3555. It's never too late and it's never too early. 412-515-3555. Or visit asgretire.com. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC. Hi, this is Tud Shulkin. Join me and head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Steelers players Vance McDonald and Stefan Tuitt, and pastors Brian Loritz and Ed Glover for Man Up Pittsburgh on Saturday, June 8th at Victory Family Church in Cranberry. Man Up is a day for all men to work on becoming the best godly leaders they can be. There will be free food, fellowship, worship, powerful messages, and dynamic breakout sessions. From high schoolers to grandfathers, this is for you. Register today at manupittsburgh.org. Hosted by Urban Impact and brought to you locally by Chick-fil-A of Pittsburgh. Hi, this is Carrie. I'm so excited for May 5th. Why? Because it's Compassion Sunday. My family sponsored a child a couple of years ago on Compassion Sunday at our church, and it's been the best thing we have ever experienced. And I'm excited because I want you to have that same experience. Would you join us? 
Just go to Compassion.com slash Sunday to find a church near you that's hosting Compassion Sunday. That's Compassion.com slash Sunday. I believe there are not very many schools that do this, at least to the extent that Jubilee does it. Through Jubilee Christian School's all-school unit, students learn to become citizens of the world. They learn geography, politics, economics. They have a closing ceremony where each grade will either sing a song, present a little play. It's always, of course, integrated spiritually that we are all united as God's children and that we, of course, have a mandate to share God's love with everyone. Imagine, believe, achieve at JubileeCS.org. Most clubs you join require an initiation fee or a club membership, but not the Word FM Discount Shopping Club. No, in our club, you save as much as half. That's right, 50% on gift certificates and items from local restaurants, health services, and much more. All from the comfort of your computer or smartphone. Log on now to wordfm.com slash shopping. And I'll see you at the club. Thank you. Mostly cloudy tonight with a shower in the area, mostly after midnight, low 63. Tomorrow, warm and more humid will stay mostly cloudy with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm, high 76. Another shower thunderstorm around tomorrow night with lows near 60. And still unsettled for Friday with clouds and a couple of more showers and a thunderstorm. Friday's high 73 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Sorry for the delay there. <laughs> There's just so much going on. We're just comparing each other's vaccination records. Yeah, we're talking about scabies. <laughs> scabies. Scabbies. It's off to a great show. <laughs> that was a four o'clock hour. We sort of went from poetry to scabbies. Some best scabies. Of, best of stuff right here. Rich and compelling. Holy oh, smokes. Welcome no. to the Wednesday edition of the Ride Home. I mean, the delay was you talking about your delay at the Social Security <laughs> office, speaking of scabbies. Yeah, let me first of all say if you missed any of the compelling dialogue from hour one. <laughs> You can find us at iTunes and also on our website. John Aren't you glad Kathy. to stop by? Aren't you glad? Show.com. We've got a great hour coming up, oh, but just goodness. a little bit, we're going to have Daniel Hill with us. He's going to be in town in Pittsburgh in just a couple, what, coming up? Yeah, May 6th. Uh, yeah, May 6th. Uh, he, he's the author of the book called White Awake, An Honest Look at What It Means to Be White. Um, so I'll have a compelling conversation coming up in a little bit. But before we do that, um, I, I had my third trip to the Social Security office today. Oh, my goodness. Now, when's I last didn't think time, you were that old. When's the last time you were in a Social Security office? Um, I think I lost my card back like in 1991 and mm-hmm. had to apply for a new passport or something. Okay. And so I had to start that process. Got it. Here's a wait. Well, let me, before you get started on this. So do you get this every year? Like, you know, your earnings update from the social security administration? No, you don't get that. No, I get that every year. Well, you don't get that. Mm-mm. What? You don't get that either. I don't no. get it. No, I, no. What? I get that every year. Just, you know, it tells you how much you earned throughout the decades. Huh? What? So this year, anyway, so this year I got mine. It said to me. It said zero dollars. No, you know what it said? What? 412. What? So 
I have yet to contact the Social Security Administration, but I believe that's my area code. <laughs> and I think yeah. that might have been inputted during the government shutdown. Right. Uh, 412. Right. I mean, it was, you know, it was a good year last year, but it wasn't 412. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my Social Security story. Wow. That was great. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> anyway, back to Scabby's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been. That was great. Yeah, as I said the third time, um, my dad passed away recently, and so I've been trying to help my mom navigate the application for his death benefits. Mm. And you'd think that that was a straightforward thing. This happens to people, you know, often, and so you just go. And I, I have to say that after being in a social security office for a total of about 4 hours of my life over the last month or month and a half i have to say it is hard it is truly hard for me to believe and i'm not being flippant when i say this it is hard for me to believe that anyone would advocate for more government involvement in life you mean like bernie sanders yeah i just i cannot figure out how people go from the theory of saying that socialism and and high government involvement in your personal life is a great thing to actually seeing how it works out in regular everyday life. Right. Now, to be to be fair, you don't want to disparage all government employees. Not at all. Not at all. But I'm saying it is clearly not the most efficient way of solving an issue or dealing with a problem. It's just there's no pot. You can't right. stay any time, any length of time in a social security office and come away with the conclusion that you were just part of the most <laughs> efficient mechanism for doing what you were there to do. DMV is the same way. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 that's not true. I, oh, I, I don't yes, mind the DMV. No, no, I've no, had good experiences with DMV. You are the first person I've ever I've heard never, say, yeah, I what? don't mind the Me DMV. Too. No, I don't mind the DMV. And I, I've got to get my birthdays on Saturday. I need a new, uh, the camera okay, card Okay, well, you know what? Up. On Monday, I'll, I'll we're going to talk about what that was like. Okay, fine. Okay, so let me say this. I was in the East Liberty office of the Social Security That's the one Department I go to. Today. Yeah. Okay. It's off the, what used to be Penn Circle. Right, Which exactly. is, again, another bad government idea. Exactly. Okay, but let me say this. The employees, especially the man who worked out in the parking lot mm-hmm. and the man who worked at the front desk in there, yeah. they were so kind oh. and so friendly and so helpful that I, I just have to make sure I say public. I wish I knew their names to, so that I could give them credit for it. They just did a wonderful job. Nice. But what they're working with, as far as just the, the just the the mechanism for for registering when you get in the room right, and right. being called, it's just so shockingly inefficient. And I say this because I started this process with my mom about seven or eight weeks ago, and we went to a different Social Security office that will remain nameless. It was not the East Liberty office. And when we went there, we took a number, and we waited there for two and a half hours, sitting in seats for two and a half hours. Wow. Did you have like a number, like at the bakery? Yes, yes. Number 12? Now, the place was completely packed, as you can imagine. Sure. They had, most of the time, one person working. Then for then they brought a second person in at one point, but for the most most of that time there was one person working. Holy what number okay. did you pick? Um, I don't. It, here's the thing: you would think, okay, well they're on number forty-seven and I'm sixty, but it's not like that because they classify. You have to go to a computer when you walk in. That's like uh, like a nineteen seventy-six Compaq computer, right? Mm-hmm. 
so you have to register what you're there for, but the the classifications are so general and random that it's, it, I don't think it helps at all. And they spit out a card that is a letter and a number, and so they don't go in order. Huh. So they'll call our numbers and they'll call you numbers, and call, it's just it's an ununderstandable system that they have. But after waiting for two and a half hours with my mom in one of those hor- horrible, uncomfortable. Horribly uncomfortable chairs that can only be purchased by a, a government, government expenditures. Right? Looking at a wall painted in a color that would only be available in a you know governmental agency, we got up to the to the window to have the woman tell me that she did not have enough staff that day to do what we were there to do. What filed death benefits? Yeah, she did, she she said, "Well, you can tell I don't I clearly don't have enough staff to do this today." Oh my gosh! And I thought now after two and a half hours of sitting waiting. Now, there's no way that she could have told me that two and a half hours ago, so I didn't have to sit through all that. Holy smokes. So then she said, I'll make an appointment for you. And I said, great. And she said, our next available appointment is eight weeks away. Oh, my gosh. Eight weeks. So that was today? Yeah, so that was that was today. So you went to eight East weeks, Liberty? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. How, wow, wow. So all I'm saying is there's got to be a better way. And if no, you, wait. And if you, are, if you advocate the lifting and the strengthening of central government in theory it is a way different thing than actually living with it surely it is so wait so in those eight weeks there's legal machinations that have to follow through nothing happens so but with that there's also a flow of money or there should be to right to right. to the widow or the widower there is no flow of money so all that was held up by the inefficiency right. of the process right and Jeez. and Fortunately, my mom is in a situation where she had enough funds to carry her. She wasn't but relying a lot of on them. Wouldn't. Well, what if my mom wasn't in that situation? No, right. So you're waiting eight weeks for for that to happen because Holy you smokes. can't get an appointment earlier than. Okay, that. so then once you showed up today for the set appointment, how mm-hmm. did things go? Well, the, actually, I showed up for set appointment on the telephone. That was how we set it up. I was so angry after the two and a half hour wait that I demanded that I would not come back. Unless – and she said, well, we can do it over the phone. And I said, good. So I had a phone appointment a week ago and they called just right on time. Did I they? spoke to a man from Excellent. the East Liberty office who was very helpful. But we reached a an impasse mm. and he said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to come down here. So we actually – that's what I mean. We It was three different appointments. I see. And so I went down there today thinking – he said this is just going to be an in and out. I ended up being there for 45 minutes again. Okay. So I, But was resolved. It was resolved, and like I said, those two men in the office, absolutely wonderful, friendly, wow. helpful, all of that, but really? Interesting. No, it's inter- because my wife's father ran the Social Security office in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and the ironic thing is my father-in-law, who I did not know, he died at age 64. No. So after administering Social Security rights to thousands of people, he himself- Just missed him. Yes. Oh. Can you believe that? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, well, I'm so, sorry for your troubles yeah, there. So God bless whoever's working in the Social Security office. Yeah. But as Bernie Sanders tells you how great it is that democratic socialism is, could be the future of America, just walk into a government agency and right. see how efficient and effective it is when you are really the person in need. Right. So you mean Bernie Sanders, the millionaire socialist? He's on our side. Yeah, of course he is. And don't forget to bring your my pillow <laughs> so you can wait. You need that. Seriously, you're going to get drowsy at some point. No, wait a second here. Hold on. 101.5 WORD. Next time on PowerPoint with Jack Cram. Now, it may be that we would all say, well, everybody lies. 
everybody steals a little bit, but after all, that's just the way it is. You're never more like Christ than when you're living and telling the truth. Tune in next time for PowerPoint with Jack Graham. PowerPoint, tonight at 9.30 on 101.5 WORD. If you take a look around your hometown, you might notice that there seems to be a mattress store on every corner, each with a different sale every weekend. Where do you start? And how do you know if you're actually getting a good value? Here at the Original Mattress Factory, what you see is what you get. You'll find our hand-built, high-quality mattresses at the same great price every day. Stop by one of our local factories or stores to experience the Original Mattress Factory difference. Great beds, no bull. The gimmicks, the flashy sales, and the big markups. Mattress stores have made the mattress shopping experience confusing on purpose. Ron Trzinski started the original Mattress Factory to create a better way. He raised the bar on quality, offered hand-built mattresses for a fraction of the cost, and ditched the high-pressure sales tactics, all to create a better mattress buying experience for you. You could say he was the original disruptor. Stop by an original Mattress Factory store or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. How does Eden Christian Academy prepare students for success? Through education that ignites the mind and inspires the spirit from pre-K through 12th grade. Through 47 state-certified full-time teachers and opportunities in sports, the arts, and service to the community. With results like SAT scores 200 points over the national average. Schedule a tour at any of Eden's three North Hills campuses and see what the area's largest non-denominational Christian school has to offer at EdenChristianAcademy.org. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville for the extreme in all of us. At extremetruck.net. Share, like, comment, tweet. Are these foreign terms to your business? They may not be to your competition and the reason you're losing sales. We're Salem Surround. We take the mystery of digital marketing off your shoulders, letting you run your business while we deliver customers. We offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness and suggest methods that could dramatically increase your sales. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Happy to have Daniel Hill with us. Daniel's the founding pastor of River City Community Church in the Humboldt Park neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. And the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary will welcome a day with Daniel Hill coming up on May 6th. We'll have details about that in just a minute. But Daniel, welcome in. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. My pleasure, Daniel. Hey, Dan. Um a while back, a few months back in church, you know, uh, after a service was over, a, a bunch of my friends were standing around talking, having a conversation or something. And, and I said something just sort of off the cuff in the co- conversation. And I said something about, well, that's white privilege. And the guys that I were talking with, especially two, two of the guys, they got angry. And they were like, what are you talking about? White privilege. What is that BS? Yada, yada. I mean, it got a little tight pretty fast. So it surprised me, but I guess, you know, in retrospect, when I think about the exchange and then uh, conversations later on with other people in my circles, that a lot of people, when you say white privilege, 
think that that's an affront or it's not a thing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, you know, the tricky thing with white privilege is it's real, something that should be discussed, but in so many ways it's the tip of the iceberg. It's the kind of easiest manifestation of a big and gross and ugly thing that has to be addressed. And, I mean, realistically, most white folks don't understand the whole concept of race in general and how race formed and how it works today and how operative it is, continues to be in almost every sector. And so if you don't understand any of that, there's kind of no chance you're going to understand white privilege. And so that's, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with that word because it's an important term to discuss, but it's the very superficial kind of well, – not superficial, it's the tip of the iceberg. Right. And, but for a lot of people, it's the beginning of the conversation or the beginning of the awareness. Yeah, although I would argue, actually, I, I think for an effective journey and a deeper understanding of this, white privilege is probably one of the last things a white person should be wrestling with. Oh, that's interesting. It's hard, it's hard to grapple with white privilege until you understand what race is and how it shapes society. Um, and so I actually think it's, it's unfortunate. It becomes kind of a trigger and distracts from the kind okay. of much more important conversation. Okay. That's good. Okay, so in White Awake, an honest look at what it means to be white, you tell a story of your sort of own journey where you stand before uh, four different pastors. You've got an idea of, you know, some genesis of what you'd like to start to talk about. But can you tell that story? Yeah, sure. You know, so I, in the work I've done, I think I think there's kind of a couple of major arenas of growth that we have. So you're kind of speaking to one with the opening story you had, where there's a lot of us who are white who are just not thinking about this stuff much, right? And I actually think that's maybe the most important form of privilege to wrestle with. <laughs> As you, you probably saw it in the book. I, I quote Dr. Reverend Julian DeShazier, who's a pastor here on the South Side, and he defines privilege simply as the ability to walk away. And uh, I think that's that's a pretty important. That's not the full of it, but um, that's that's the most regular form of privilege we all express is kind of not taking this conversation seriously and doing the work. So yeah. I think that represents one arena. You're you're kind of rep- you're you're telling the story. I think there's a second arena that for some of us the light bulb goes on and we start to see it as a problem, and we're trying to figure out what to do about it. And that's good that we're not moving, but that kind of creates a second arena where. You know, when you don't understand something very well, but you try to fix it, you know, you can be, you can create harm. So the story you're kind of getting to, and an important one in my journey, I was working at a white megachurch at the time and was very interested in building a culturally diverse community. And they allowed me to kind of launch a new startup in the city um, that was really focused on cultural diversity. And I was really struggling with it. And so an African-American mentor in the city set up a meeting with four other pastors that we're all doing this kind of work at different levels. And it happened to be one black pastor, one Puerto Rican pastor, one Asian American pastor, and one white pastor. And so I shared my vision of kind of what I was hoping to do and the role I was hoping to play in it. And it was just, it was a, it was a, it was an eye opening awakening moment because each one of them, the first, the Puerto Rican pastor said, you know, it sounds interesting what you're trying to do, but everything you say sounds so paternalistic. I'm having trouble hearing it. Hmm. That was honestly the first time I ever came face to face with the term paternalism. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, I thought I was being helpful, but he was calling it paternalistic. The Asian American pastor went second. He said, "I hear you talking about cultural diversity, but everything you said was black and white. It makes me wonder if you actually understand." all the different Asian groups that there are and the different stories we represent. And if you've done your homework on that, the white pastor said, if I had a dollar for every young white pastor who thought he was going to solve the problem of race, I'd be a rich man by now. And the black pastor said, you know, even if you were to have some success with this, you know, race is so entrenched here in Chicago, black folks aren't going to go to a church with a white pastor anyway. So you'd be saving yourself a lot of trouble to just go back to your white community and kind of concentrate your efforts there. Wow. And that's the story, yeah. So that was a real wake-up call, just kind of how deep this goes. Yeah. 
So if you said that white privilege is the place not to begin, um, what is the place to begin? Well, so, I, you know, some it's... It, it's it, it's kind of the psychological process. I think a lot of us go through. I think, biblically speaking, more often we should start with kind of inside out, right, where we should become transformed on the inside and then move into the world from that. I just find for for dealing with race with white folks, it doesn't seem to work well going inside out. People get lost if they try to find their own kind of relationship with it first. So it tends to be easier to go to reverse it and go outside in, and to like really come to an understanding of what the construct of race is why it was created, what the impact of it is, how it impacts all of us, including white people. And if somebody can kind of begin to wrap their head around all of that, you know, there comes a point where you certainly have to ask, like, okay, so how has that shaped me? How has that affected me? But it seems, it seems for most people that I've walked with, the, the process is much more linear if they can kind of start by understanding it out there, so to speak, before they try to understand it internally, which is what re- white privilege is really trying to focus on, is trying to understand, you, lo- you know, look at how you benefit from the system, which... Is, is a question that should be wrestled with. But again, I, it's a question that I think it's hard to make sense of if you've not already come to a deep understanding of what race is to begin with. I see. Daniel Hill's with us. He's the author of White Awake. He'll be appearing May 6th at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, A Day with Daniel Hill. It starts uh, early in the day at uh, 1 o'clock and uh, goes throughout the evening. Uh, listen, at 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, Daniel Hill's going to be with Todd Allen, Racism and the Church, a conversation with Daniel Hill and Todd Allen. It's open to the public. Uh, look for details at pts.edu. Yeah, and we're just meeting Dan Hill for the first time, but we've known Todd Allen for a long time. Excellent. Guy. And uh, he's a wonderful guy uh, with a really, um, I think, a deep understanding of the issues uh, of which we speak. And so that's going to be a great, great thing, uh, May 6, 7 to 9 p.m. Okay, Dan, so you said that race um, and the essence of it and what it is is, um, is a fine place to perhaps begin. So how do you define it? Why is it important that we understand? It. Well, yeah, you know, so it will, we'll take two minutes to do what could be like a whole semester sure. of college course, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, right. So I think there, we have to make a distinction, you know, the, 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 our ethnicity or our nationality, things that are God-given, you know, from God, represent God. That's not actually what we're talking about. We're talking about race. We're not even talking about who you and I are as individuals made in God's image. We're talking about a system that was created that's, you know, maybe 400 plus years old was really very much tied to first colonialism, but especially the establishment of slavery. And the, the, so the contract of race is when we took these perceived physical differences in people groups, and we created these social categories to define people. But the key part is that um, when we recognize these racial differences, we didn't look at them as equivalent differences. We put it on a pyramid. We put it on a hierarchy. Race is really a way to evaluate human worth based on a hierarchy. And that's news to most white people. Most white people would not to say they subscribe to that, they would actually condemn anything that says one group is superior and one group is inferior. And while I think we actually should be quick to condemn that, I think it's a mistake to jump past how big of a reality that is, that race is shaped around a human hierarchy of value. And it's always said that whiteness is superior, but it's said that blackness is inferior at the bottom of the pyramid, and then it kind of ranks human value for other people, whether it be different Asian American folks or Latin Latino folks or mixed race folks, it kind of establishes their sense of value based on this hierarchy with white at the top and black at the bottom. And, you know, for those who are Christian, we, we, we should be quick to be able to say that that's like an idolatrous proposition, right? That anything would say human value is tied to 
where you fall on a racial hierarchy as opposed to who you are in God's image. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most people don't understand that that's really what race is and that it's really just as operative today as it's ever been. But um, we, we tend to think of it in much more superficial ways when really what it is is a hierarchy that that assigns human value depending on where you fall in the hierarchy. I see. Uh, Dan, I've heard people say, you know, I don't want to be racist. I just can't help it. That's how I was raised. Yeah. Well, and that, I think that's that's why kind of moving from an inside out to an outside in, I think it's helpful because that's, that is kind of the reflexive instinct is to either defend how we were raised or to try to prove that we're not racist and we start giving our resume of all the friends we have or things that we've done. And, and that, 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 that becomes kind of the wrong focus, I think, where we're trying to prove that we're exempt from this thing. Mm-hmm. I think what's much more important is to like forget about ourselves from it and take an honest look at the world and to see how serious this problem is and how operative it still is. And for those who are Christians to see how spiritual this is, right? It's a battle between this system that's trying to assign human value and then God who's saying, I alone define human value. And, um, you know, so I, I think the bulk of our energy, the newer we are, the, the more almost exclusive we should look at how it is playing outside and not try to be defending ourselves or explaining ourselves. We almost should take ourselves out of it to the degree that we can until we have a deeper understanding of how the system works. Mm. The book is called White Awake, an honest look at what it means to be white. We're talking to author Daniel Hill, who's going to be in Pittsburgh on May 6th. Uh, we're talking specifically, it's an all-day event, but we're talking specifically about the uh, the 7 to 9 p.m. portion, e- evening presentation that Dan will be doing with Todd Allen that's open to the public. Um, Dan, about, I don't know, maybe two months ago, I was watching a um, a miniseries that was on uh, Netflix or Amazon that was made in Australia. And I was watching it with my 17-year-old daughter. And after we finished the miniseries, I asked her what she thought of it. And she said that the number one thing she was so happy about, and she said, I know happy is the wrong word, but she said, I was so happy to see that they have racial problems in Australia. And I thought that was interesting because that was one of the main themes of the thing that we had just watched. But she said that in her mind, the racial problems we have in America are so extreme that they don't happen anywhere else. And that that's exclusive in her mind. You know, she's 17 years old. It was almost an exclusively American problem. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dan, talk about that. What does that tell you about how we communicate about race here? Well, I think she's probably half right. I mean, I think I think. It is both true everywhere on the globe, and it's particularly pronounced in America. So I think those are both true, um, that it is not just here, and it is particularly bad here. I, I mean, really, the, the, two, the two main enormous kind of sins that kind of formed racism was colonialism, and if that's an un, unfamiliar term, right, when, when you've got European countries that are taking over other countries, and it's almost always a white country taking over a non-white country, you have to kind of create some kind of a story to make sense of that. Yeah, Everybody asks that. Why are white people always dominating? So you create these stories that European people are inherently superior and therefore are almost deserving of these. And so anywhere where you see colonialism as part of the history, you're going to have race problems because that was part of the story that created, including our own country. Um, but then slavery is the other big thing, right? In order to justify the ownership of human beings, of black human beings, there had to be a story, a narrative that was created that said black people are inherently inferior to white people and therefore deserving, really, to be in these kind of bondage situations. And so anywhere you've got a slave history, you're going to have kind of a double-bound race problem. And so we would be one of those places where 
we've got both. We've got the two things that most informed race of colonialism and slavery. They're both so endemic to kind of the creation of our systems and structures. And so, so we're not the only place that has that. But any, any place I'd say that where the two of those historical realities are true, you're going to have like tremendously profound generational race problems. We're talking with Daniel Hill. He is in town May 6th. The evening presentation, which we would encourage you to attend, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, Racism and the Church, a conversation with Dan Hill and Todd Allen. It's open to the public. Look online at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, pts.edu. So, Dan, uh, your church, uh, obviously, you've built this church on the idea that uh, you're, you're trying to have an awakening moment and uh, that racial reconciliation uh, coming together. Uh, how does that work? I mean, talk about, you know, you know, the, as the church moves forward, how do you I- integrate uh, that conversation as you preach and teach and talk in small groups and beyond? What's that look like? I think we need a little bit more of a nuanced discipleship approach to this. I, I think for a lot of Christians, they've not been theologically formed to, to know how to even understand this. And so at the most kind of basic level, if I can kind of say it that way, we're trying to have kind of a plus and a minus way that people think of this. <laughs> so there's kind of a plus side, which is God has created cultural diversity in God's image, yes. and that's part of God's church, right? Revelation 7-9 says all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues will be in a unified place, but still representing kind of their cultural lineage, right? And so so that's not something that's just part of this earth reality. That's something even the redeemed state. So on the plus side, we're saying there's an, a richness, um, a beauty. If we want to see God fully, if we want to see the world fully, if we want to bear witness to Christ and his kingdom fully, we need to be as diverse as we can. And that requires skills and thought, you know, ways of navigating. So that's on the plus side. But we also think that it's really important Christians see that on the minus on the minus side, the system of race is something different than being a culturally diverse community. The system of race is this profound, demonic, evil system that continues to assign human value at differing levels, depending on where somebody's at on the human hierarchy. And our whole society is structured around that evil, and that at the most basic level, Christians should be able to delineate between truth and lies, and race is built on a lie, and the truth is found in Jesus, and you know we can't we can't dismantle this thing if we're not rooted deeply in the in the truth that comes from Christ and if we're not clear eyed about the lies that sustain race mm-hmm. and so there there's there's material that kind of falls on both sides of that when you're preaching out right it's sure, one sure. thing to build a culture diverse community it's another thing to kind of protect the system of race oftentimes those get blended together i don't think they should i think they're different things that touch each other but they require kind of different levels of thinking biblically i see so so then what about you personally have you seen, you know, in the years you've talked about this, obviously this has been going on in your mind and in your prayer life and in your preaching and teaching for decades. What transformation have you seen for yourself? Well, using that kind of same rubric I just gave, you know, um, I, I find, you know, one of the great joys I have is living in such a culture diverse community. I, I've learned so much and, you know, it's been 16 years since we planted this church and um, just the, the, wrestling through just the, the innumerable blind spots I had because I just wasn't exposed to certain things that were always there in the Bible. I just didn't see them. Right. So I could, I could tell kind of a long testimony of ways I've come to see God in deeper ways by living in a more diverse community who's trying to follow Jesus together. 
And then I, I, I think a big part of being disciples of Jesus Christ is, as we bear witness to Christ and his kingdom, we're to kind of stand up to the lies in society, we're to, we're to kind of enunciate the ways that there's the patterns of this world that we're being conformed to and the transformation that we should be changing towards. And so, you know, I, I think race is one of the primary ways that we conform to the world rather than being transformed by the removing of our mind. And so I, I think the informed permission has been a big part of being in these culturally diverse communities, too, to be able to understand what I was missing before and how to play some small role and kind of bring greater levels of clarity to this. Daniel Hill coming to Pittsburgh on May 6th at uh, the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Look for the event that starts at 7 p.m., ends at 9 p.m. It's called Racism and the Church, a conversation with Daniel Hill and Todd Allen, who's been a good friend of our program. So we highly recommend that to you. Dan's book, White Awake, an honest look at what it means to be white. Thank you, Dan. Now that the Easter break is over at Grove City College, like it is over all colleges across the country, everyone now, the students, are looking forward to final exams. And, you know, if you've been to college, whether it's been just a few years ago or decades ago, everybody knows what it's like to <laughs> suffer through the fear and the anxiety uh. of college final exams. The year is coming to a close. Hallelujah. But those finals, that is a whole other rub. Yeah, and... Here's the thing. It's important to be able to be balanced when you're working that hard. Yes. And I think one of the problems in our current society is that we're raising kids who aren't balanced. They're either way too driven and they have all sorts of emotional problems because of that, or they're too lazy. They're watching, you know, you're doing video games and hanging out in your basement with instead of working. We want something in the middle where we want healthy kids who can work really hard and be well prepared while at the same time being able to not have that tax them to a point where they're unhealthy. That's the point that Grove City College is going for, because they want to give kids not just the support of faculty, which they have during finals, the support of the counseling staff there if it's needed, but they also have a great college community of friends willing to come alongside each other and get through a period like finals, which is hard for everybody. I'm into that. Finals are underway at Grove City College. Think about next year gcc.edu. Hi, this is Chud Shilka. Join me and head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Steelers players Vance McDonald and Stefan Tuitt, and pastors Brian Loritz and Ed Glover for Man Up Pittsburgh on Saturday, June 8th at Victory Family Church in Cranberry. Man Up is a day for all men to work on becoming the best godly leaders they can be. There'll be free food, fellowship, worship, powerful messages, and dynamic breakout sessions. From high schoolers to grandfathers, this is for you. Register today at manuppittsburgh.org. Hosted by Urban Impact and brought to you locally by Chick-fil-A of Pittsburgh. Pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. If wisdom teeth come in properly and meet the right conditions, they are generally safe to keep. But left unchecked, they can put you at risk for gum disease, tooth decay, and damage to adjacent teeth. Some wisdom teeth grow in at such an angle that they never break through the gum, which can lead to tooth decay, gum disease, cysts, and tumors. These impacted teeth can only be seen on x-rays, so the damage they may cause can go undetected if they are not checked by a dental professional. Some people just don't have enough room for another tooth in their mouth, so their wisdom teeth can affect adjacent teeth when they come in. This can make it difficult to chew, difficult to keep them all clean, and misalign your teeth. Not all wisdom teeth need to be removed, but they all do need to be monitored by an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Find a surgeon near you for a complete examination. If your wisdom teeth do need to be removed, the procedure can be done in an office setting with minimal post-operative pain and swelling. Remember, pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. 
Find your local oral and maxillofacial surgeon at myoms.org. Mostly cloudy tonight with a shower in the area, mostly after midnight, low 63. Tomorrow, warm and more humid will stay mostly cloudy with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm, high 76. Another shower or thunderstorm around tomorrow night with lows near 60. And still unsettled for Friday with clouds and a couple of more showers and a thunderstorm. Friday's high 73 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. TBN, the largest Christian television network in the world, has launched its first daily TV show, and it's made especially for women. Better Together is what it's called, and it features different faces, different voices each day. And you'll see a combination of people, people like Carrie Job and Lisa Harper and Christine Kane and Laurie Crouch. And they're all in conversation about things that matter to women. And it's not about makeup, and it's not about how to renovate your house. But instead, you're going to see and hear women talking about heart issues, issues like kids and family, how to hear God's voice, uh, toxic relationships, identity, social media, all those sorts of things. And it'll be women talking to together about the things that you want to talk about too so don't miss it it's tbn's better together every day 1 30 p.m eastern very nice i saw this article um about people's intimacy uh and, and who they hope to uh, to engage in conversation and here's the deal uh the, the headline is that one in four americans feel that they have no one to confide in that's what twenty five percent of Americans feel like they have no one to confide yeah, one in. One in four people don't feel they have someone to confide in. And wow. they says uh, even after sharing their feelings, seven to ten people have held back how they really felt from a friend or a spouse or a coworker. Well, we've all done that though. To hold back. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of us do it more than others. Oh yeah. I mean, because you know, you got to carefully. You don't open up a can of worms. I mean, right? You're not laying it all out every single time. No, no. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and Me? it was a long conversation. No, it was after the show. I mean, I got like so deeply emotional, like four <laughs> separate times. I was going home, and I'm thinking, what the heck is going on with you, man? You know. Anyway, a study of 2,000 Americans examined how daily stressors can affect mental health and what prevents people from seeking out therapy and additional help. The results revealed that 9 in 10 people admit to downplaying their emotions so they won't worry or burden a loved one. Mm. The survey was conducted by one poll on behalf of BetterHelp found that young people ages 18 to 30 are seriously withdrawn across the board. They were more uncomfortable than people over 50 discussing money, job, parents, or friends. Holding so many emotions back, unfortunately, causes those worries to manifest in physical ways. Three in 10 people admitted that they're more prone to crying when stressed. And there's definitely some preferred places for letting the few tears leak out. Half of the people, 53%, said they cried in their car, while two in five have shed tears at a family event. 34% have even cried at their job. Walking down the street in the grocery store rounded out the other... <laughs> Sorry. Most <laughs> this was touching. <laughs> Most common places the people have cried. Wait a second. If you're in the grocery store and someone's crying in the like the cleaning supplies aisle, something's up. You needed some counseling. You mm. do. The stigma surround the stigma surrounding therapy might be due to some outdated assumptions people have about it. I mean, Kath and I, we've always said everybody should be in therapy. Everybody. I said that to my brother-in-law once. He was like, that's wrong. That is wrong thinking. No, no, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe some therapy there would help. <laughs> <you."> <laughs> 
I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay, so I mean, it's weird that I'm asking you both on the air, but do you? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm going to start to go. cry. I'm going to cry right now. How about you're walking down the street and someone's crying? I don't. That's just weird. Well, if someone's crying when you're walking down the street, I'll tell you the first thing you should do is stop. The first thing you should stop is is stop and ask them if they're okay. I'll I'll tell you that. I got to be honest with you. I spent a lot of time in hospitals over the last several years, and that happens a lot. Uh, Well, of course it does. It happens a lot, but most of the time, no one goes over. No one goes over to say, uh, yeah. I think that's a, I think that you're all, you're all carrying deep grief. Right. Or it just seems Burdens. like, I don't know you. I don't want to like, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to, but I, I have to be honest. And I have, I have not gone up to people also that I've seen in that circumstance, not because I don't care, but because you don't know, you don't want to infringe on someone's personal thing yeah. or feel like you're violating their space right. or whatever. But I have to say this, that um, I was in the hospital one day. I was by myself and I was the one who was crying and I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I had been talking on the phone to somebody. I was sitting in the hospital waiting room that I had been in for so many days after day after day after day. And I got off the phone and it was a difficult conversation I was having. And this stranger, this woman came up to me and she said, excuse me. She said, I just want you to know that I I wasn't trying to listen to your phone call, but I'm going to pray for you. Wow. That's awesome. And that's all she said. She didn't come over and try to ask me questions. She didn't try to be my best friend. She just said, she basically said, I see you. I can imagine what you're going through, and I'm going to pray for you. That's a great approach. And then she got on the elevator. Wow. That's a little angel. No, it really was. It really was. And I think that was such a simple thing to do. And it was respectful, Mm -hmm. but it was also sensitive and... If I was a, and I'm fortunate because I do have people I feel like I can confide in. But what if I didn't? That woman, that could have made all the difference to me between right. feeling like I was alone in the world and not alone in the of world. Of course, I mean, look, you know, it's well, it's well documented that loneliness is the is the yep. cancer of our, mm-hmm. our existence. Yep. That so many people are so lonely, so isolated, so withdrawn from the world. That's got to break your heart. I mean, I just. To think about people just having no one to share with. Right. So, go ahead. I man. feel like men more than women struggle with that because I feel just I just feel like men are just more prideful. They could just keep it to themselves. And say, I oh, guess. I got this. And you know what? But women are just just so well at they're so good at being the relational. communicating with other people about yeah being relational. Well, as a guy in the church. I mean, seriously, that is so helpful to be a man oh, in the church and to see other men and develop those relationships and have Jesus as the center point Definitely. of which it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many guys I connect with because of that mm-hmm. and we're able to share together. I so, need that more in my life. Come and, to my church. And when I think about the 25% of people who don't have anybody to confide in, the first thing I want to say is get to a church. Yeah. Get to a church. It doesn't have to be a church that's perfect because there's not going to no be church one. That's perfect. And it doesn't have to be a church that's going to be exactly what you were hoping for because there's not going to be a church that's exactly what you're hoping for. And it doesn't even have to be a church that you agree with 100%. Just go. Be in community. Be in community with Christ. Know people and let them know you. Yeah. And then you can decide if it's the right church for you. And then you can decide if you disagree with their theology and whatever. But it is worth it to be in relationship with people, to make yourself available, and to just try. And you know what? As we talk about this, I think that 
we should, the three of us and in our audience as well, that we should make a point of praying for people oh, yeah. that are mm-hmm. lost yeah. and disconnected and wanting and needing c- compassion and that connection. So I, I want to do that. I want to make that yeah. a, a top of my prayer list today and move forward with that. Mm-hmm. That's why small groups are so um, crucial. Oh, my gosh. I agree. Anyway, let's take a break. We'll come back in a few minutes. Stick around. It's the Ride Home with John and Kathy here on Word FM and WPIT Radio. WORD. Coming up on Love Worth Finding. Have you ever thought God just can't use you? You think perhaps God is finished with you. I want to tell you God is no more finished with you than God was finished with the children of Israel just because they sinned. God is the God of a second chance. Learn how you can possess your possessions this month on Love Worth Finding. Tonight at 11 on 101.5 WORD. Somewhere today, at a Christian school near you, a teacher arrived at work, not because of a paycheck, but a calling, a divine privilege, to invest their skills, their time, their academic training, their entire life, to equip young minds for success in this world and beyond. This is how love inspires learning. Visit pittsburghchristianschools.net, education for mind and soul. PittsburghChristianSchools.net. It's where the Sahara meets the Nile and the Mediterranean Sea. Only here exist the perfect conditions for growing the finest cotton in the world. I'm John Hall. Nowhere else can you find cotton so luxuriously soft and light, yet super strong and able to hold deep, vibrant colors, wash after wash. It's this very cotton Mike Lindell has used to create my pillows, Giza Dreams bedsheets. Try them once, and you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. And right now, get a special 30% off MyPillow Dream Sheets with free shipping. Use promo code WORD when you call 800-391-0954 or place your order at MyPillow.com. 60-day money-back guarantee if you're not completely satisfied. Call 800-391-0954 or visit MyPillow.com and be sure to use promo code WORD for 30% off plus free shipping. Sweet dreams from MyPillow. Graduation day is finally here. Celebrate their achievement and leave the catering to Bistro to Go in the Northside. From backyard family gatherings to glitzy affairs, their simply delicious creations are sure to impress. Fresh, unique, and artistically displayed. From crisp salads and fresh fruits to gorgeously grilled chicken or beef and delectable desserts. With vegan and gluten-free options. Reasonably priced, fully staffed, delivered, or ready to go. Celebrate success with Bistro to Go at bistroandcompany.com. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. Which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Well, big news for those who love the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. It's going to feature a trailblazer, Halim Ad- Aden. 
She will be the first woman to sport a hijab and a burqa in the magazine, which hits newsstands May 8th. Sports Illustrated revealed that on Monday. In a photo shared to the official Instagram page for the issue, Adam21 smiles while submerged in water. For her shoot, uh, she returned to her home country of Kenya. She was born and raised in uh, the Kamuka refugee camp until heading for the United States at the age of seven. Uh, listen to this. Uh, she says that, quote, Sports Illustrated is provi- is proving that a girl that's wearing a bikini can be right alongside a girl that's wearing a burkini. And as a woman, she added, we can come alongside each other and be each other's biggest cheerleaders. MJ Day, who is Sports Illustrated swimsuit editor, promised an issue, quote, with a wide range of age and race and levels of modesty, that is really a first for us. Okay, well, first of all, if you're concerned about modesty, you're not looking at the Sports Illustrated swimsuit yeah, issue anyway. Ever. I got strong feelings about this. About the... Look uh, out. Okay. I hate the Sports Illustrated swimsuit oh, issue. Oh, it's the... I hate it. Also, I to, absolutely hate it. I think for years it was a catch for Sports Illustrated to get new subscribers. Yeah, I think you're probably right about right. that. They were like, oh, look at us, look at us. Yeah. And then they would you know, sell this thing and people would go, yeah, I need to get that. Like it's going to be there all the time. Right. It's just cheesy. Oh, it's cheesy. And I got to be honest with you. It's porno. It's porno. It's of pornographic. It Under the guise of sports. The word. It is. And I hate the fact, you know, I, I've. I don't want to be a Sports Illustrated subscriber anymore, you are? but I cannot. I've I've been for years, but I finally last year got so hacked off when that thing came in the mail that I called and canceled my subscription. Except that, you know, no one answers the phone anymore no. when it comes to magazine subscriptions. They're like all owned by one person who like lives in yeah. Mumbai or something like that. And you get anyway. I'm still getting it. So what? even though I canceled my subscription, it coming. didn't actually cancel because I'm still getting it. Are you being charged for it? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, you only get charged once a year. I see. And it won't be until June. So if I get charged <laughs> in June, I'm going to be really hacked off. But you know what? I I just I it's not it's not helpful. It's not helpful to men. It's not helpful to women. No. It makes I guarantee you. I guarantee you. No matter what women say, whenever they see that magazine come out, they feel it inferior i'm sure they do they feel inadequate well it's kind of like remember the um and i don't know if they even do this anymore the victoria's secret oh, show yeah. oh get which out was, of here Can which you was believe porn that was, as well of course it was right it's absolutely anyway this woman she's absolutely beautiful oh my goodness and i think she actually looks a lot more appropriate than 99.9 percent of what i have not, seen I, no in, I, I don't agree with that because i mean she's covered from head to toe in fabric so i mean that doesn't make any sense either. What you mean that it, that's a swimsuit? Right, right. We're, we're no, just from not, one extreme to the other. You're someone right. wearing yes, like a you know a, a piece of spaghetti as opposed point. to you know she's draped in, in um, no, I, fabric for no, a, you know I, I totally you're a right. bolt of fabric. You're right. I totally agree. I guess I mean, a little I much just, on both ends. You're right, but I would rather see that. Sean those fashion rules. Just saying. Okay. I mean, don't wear a bolt of fabric to the beach or a <laughs> piece of spaghetti. Just somewhere in between. Anyway, looking for that in the mail, are you? I'm not okay. so hacked off. But coming up next, sounds like uh, Billy Joel's in trouble because of his helicopter. Billy Joel. Are you a fan? Yeah, sometimes. What do you mean sometimes? A moo-moo here and a moo-moo there. 
Here a moo, there a moo, everywhere a moo moo. Hi there, it's me, Marcia from the Springhouse, inviting you out to our real working dairy farm in 84 PA on a Saturday before Memorial Day for our annual Farm Heritage Day. During this annual event, two giant tents will hold 20 plus old time crafters, sharing their wares with you like sheep shearing, wool spinning, quilting, and leather punching. Our old fashioned chore girls will be churning butter, kneading bread dough, and rolling pie dough, and they'll need Lots of helpers, too. Take the tour of our modern milking facility where you get to try your hand at milking Sally the Tour Cow. The Springhouse Cooks will feature all kinds of fabulous eats inside, too. So come hungry for hot roast beef and gravy, real mashed potatoes, and so much more. Farm Heritage Day at the Springhouse on Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, 11 to 4. Let us share a little of our farm with you. Springhousemarket.com or give us a call at 724-228-3339. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our to have and to hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HenneyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers. Your jewelers for life. It's Better Together, the exciting daily half-hour talk show by women and for women. It's good friends like Lori Crouch, Christine Kane, Carrie Job, Victoria Osteen, Lisa Harper, and many more. It's more than just a TV show. It's your daily destination for love, friendship, encouragement, and community. It's Better Together, 1.30 Eastern, 10.30 Pacific, only on TBN. Text TOGETHER to 316-316 to join in. That's TOGETHER to 316-316. We'll see you real soon. And now, a quick comparison from Grasshopper. When you're always on the go, what would you prefer, an office phone system? Hey, it's Rochelle. Sorry I missed you earlier, had an errand to run, but I'm back in the office, so give me a call when you get this. Or one that works on your cell phone. No hardware needed, courtesy of Grasshopper. Oh, one sec. It's a business call. Hi, this is Rochelle with WayForward Partners. How can I help? There's no contest. Put your best voice forward with Grasshopper, the virtual phone system for small business. Try it free at grasshopper.com. Listen to your favorite Christian programs anytime on the OnePlace app. Download and listen offline. Stream to your car or automated home device. Download OnePlace at Google Play or the iTunes App Store. It's easier to change the world than you think. Sponsor a child in extreme poverty with Compassion International, and you will change the world for that child. Just text the word CHILD to 83393 to sponsor right now. Of course, that is Billy Joel. Fabulous Billy Joel. He apparently, though, uh, in the neighborhood, as he moves out to the country from Manhattan, there is a, a little kerfuffle going on. Billy Joel lives on an island, um, which is inhabited by 440 people. It's about 40 minutes. It's a, I'm sorry, about 40 miles away from uh, Manhattan. You wish it was 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, if, you took a, uh, if you took your car 
it would take you about two hours because of the congestion. But it's a quick 15-minute helicopter ride. Mm. That's the rub. Because on this uh, island where he lives, where the uh, people, uh, 440 people live, tax records show properties exceeding $18 million Whoa. for a house. $9 million, $3 million. Billy Joel has a, a helipad as well as six other people on the island. Now, there has been uh, a lot of um, hand-wringing about making those helicopters stop because they've caused great disruption to the other people on the mm. island. And uh, Billy Joel has said, his, through his lawyer, he said he would support reasonable regulations, but he spent a lot of money on the helipad and he wanted to keep it. So they're saying now that they may keep the helipads, but as the uh, property owners sell out and age out, that will be the end of them. So for now, helicopters are allowed in Billy Joel's neighborhood. Who are his neighbors? Uh, Sean Hannity's one of his neighbors. Huh. He of the $18 million home. Is he complaining about the helipad? Uh, no mention of uh, Maybe his, he has his, his stance own. on Maybe this. Maybe he has his own helicopter. You would and think so. He's so. one of the offenders. I mean, that's a long commute. A couple I mean, of hours. Look, if people say you can't use your helicopter, people are going to say, well, then I'm not going to live here because right. how am I going to get to work? I know. Huh. Well, th- these are the struggles of the uh, upper crust. Right. Meanwhile, I just need a new muffler. That's all I'm saying. Have a great night. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.